Welcome to Is This Working, a podcast about the messy parts of work with me, Anna Codrarado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. Today we're talking about working with friends. We're beyond thrilled to share our interview with Anne Friedman and Aminatou So. Anne is a journalist, essayist, and media entrepreneur who lives in LA. She writes the brilliant Anne Friedman Weekly Newsletter, which I've been reading for years, and I once heard her talk about starting her newsletter, and that was the personal inspiration for me to start my own. Aminatu is a writer, interviewer, and cultural commentator who lives in Brooklyn. She's probably best known for her candid public speaking about topics like money, ambition, and power. And together, the pair host the powerhouse that is Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. And it will probably come as no surprise to hear that it's one of our favourite shows. There really is nothing quite like listening to two women who are also really good mates chat about work and life. Anne and Aminatu have recently embarked on a new joint project together. Their first book, Big Friendship, recently came out and debuted in the New York Times bestsellers list. It's a gorgeous, heartfelt meditation on their 10 years of friendship. Using their own relationship as a jumping off point, they examine the social and cultural significance of friendship. In this episode, we chat to them about friendships and work, what it's like having a public-facing friendship, and how to overcome professional jealousy amongst friends. I love this episode and it really made me appreciate how fortunate we are that we get to work together, Anna. Um, Before we get on with it, please do subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes to help others find us. It makes a huge difference and we'd really appreciate it. And now we'll get on with the show. On with the show. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We are really thrilled to have you with us. Thank you so much for having us. Hello. Hi, hi. Um, We usually ask our guests to tell us about their work stories in all of their messy glory. But we really want to hear from you both about your work friendship story, how you both met and how you started working together. Um, Aminata, do you want to go first with that? Sure. <laughs> um, Anne and I met um, 11 years ago now um, in Washington, D.C. We had both, you know, moved there within the year that we had met, I believe, like a year, a year and a half. Like I was definitely newer than Anne was. Um, we were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, a wonderful woman named Daya Olapade, who I had just met probably like a week before and Anne had known for a little over a year, who um, when I sat down at our first friend date, Dayo said to me, you have to meet my friend Anne. And um, because she is a wonderful, proactive person, she made that happen immediately. And so <laughs> the next time that I hung out with Dyer was also with Anne. She invited us to watch television at her house. Um, you know, truly, like people used to do that once upon a time. It's it it feels uh, <laughs> it feels like very dated to say that, but I I secretly love it. 
And, uh, you know, it's like we show up, the show is Gossip Girl, um, a terrible TV show that does not hold up and even at the time was very dubious. Um, but, you know, the, the truth was that, um, you know, having an activity that you do with a lot of people, I think in your 20s, just like showing up to stuff that you think is dubious is actually part of just how you get through being a 20-something year old. Um and, you know, like, we hit it off immediately. So that was the, you know, that's kind of the, like, very superficial meet-cute of our, you know, of, of how we met. But the truth is also, you know, that we were in this larger extended, like, social and professional network. And so in, like, in a town like D.C. that is very transient, like, a lot of people come to D.C. to work for a couple of years and then move on, you know, like, in, in media and politics and, and journalism and a, and a bunch of stuff. So it is very possible that we would have met, you know, at some point we truly had like dozens and dozens of people in common. But I think that because we met in that particular way, uh, we were able to cement like a very deep relationship uh, pretty straight off the bat. And, you know, the other thing about this being 2009, which um, really is a long time ago, let's be fair, you know, uh, is that um, blogs were a thing. I mean, uh, we we both read them. It was like a way we bonded with each other by sharing like fashion blog posts and commenting on them. And so one of our or I should say our very first collaboration was actually um, starting a little blog together, which no one read but our friends um, and was really just full of frivolous things like um, the kind of stuff a few years later we would we would be putting on our tumblers uh, like cute archival photos and like what looks we liked from the runway and like articles we were interested in and I think we even published a few of our like gchat excerpts um, it was all very 2009 uh, but that that blog really it's it's funny I don't know that we um, thought about it this way uh, at the time. But when we went and looked back at our friendship for this book, it became clear that that was really the first thing that we made together that was like a structured collaboration um, that felt like the things we would go on to do later in our lives. Um, and what about the the podcast in that, um, in that, because if you, as you just mentioned that the, the book felt like the first kind of structured collaboration, but how did the, the podcast emerge? Well, the podcast, um, you know, emerged six years ago, which even saying that I'm like, wow, we are, um, elder states women of, uh, <laughs> podcasting. That right. Five right. years after we met and six years ago. So like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a so, while on both ends of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been a real while. And, you know, the, the truth of the podcast is that it is also a collaboration with our friend Gina Delvac. So that is a three-way business marriage that is very much rooted, you know, I think in that same spirit of curiosity, wanting to spend time um, with each other and, and really getting to know each other's work styles. Um, the podcast started, um, you know, I think because Gina... Um, who had a background in audio was the person who identified that, you know, maybe you two should do a podcast. And, you know, and the next question is, what's the podcast? Um, why, like, why do you think that? Um, and, you know, and again, like, we didn't really approach it in a professionalized way. I, you know, if, if the question had been like, hi, do you two want to start a small media company and, and run a podcast? Like something that was not, um, was truly not an option six years ago. I think Serial came maybe the year after that. Um, 
you know, that would have been an entirely different um, question. The, the, the issue at hand here was really like, oh, do you want to learn how to do audio slash do you want to spend more time together? And, you know, like we are, we are nerdy women who love, um, we love structured, um, structured time and activities. And, uh, you know, and so doing that with Gina was, was really, really fun, you know, and, and I think, again, <laughs> like like so much of our work, I think shows that we really accidentally fall into um, into work later on because we made the podcast for well over a year, showing up every other week to do it, releasing it like very diligently. And there was never, um, you know, like there was never a thought that it could be something that was a job or was something that frankly would like, you know, have any kind of financial attachment to it. So... Um, I think that that's important to say as well. So it's almost like an evolution of watching TV together has turned into making a podcast together. So it's it's really interesting how you talk about wanting to have an activity when you're spending time together. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're good at doing nothing, but like spending time <laughs> together with activities is also great. Sorry, Anne, go ahead. No, I I was just going to say it. it it's, it's not only the structure, I think, for me. Um, you know, very early on, one of the things that attracted me to Aminatu as a friend is, like, she is just so funny, and she has such brilliant things to say about everything. And something about the structure of, you know, first the silly little blog, and then, you know, a couple years later, the podcast was a real excuse for me to ask her questions or for us to be in dialogue in... Um, a slightly more formal way than um, than just in our own personal lives, and so very selfishly, um, the the structure wasn't just about learning a new skill or having something to do together. I was like, "Ooh, I, this is an excuse for me to ask her what she thinks about everything." I can really relate to that because our podcast was born because I kept on asking Anna we when we both became freelance and I kept on asking Anna about how to structure my day how I should work and suddenly we realized that other people would probably want to hear the answer to these questions and Anna's wisdom so I totally get that um I I really want to hear a bit about what it's like having a public friendship um and how does your friendship being actually part of your work impact um, not only your friendship, but also the work itself that you do? Oh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with that because I think our friendship and the work is one thing and our friendship and the public perception of the friendship is actually mm -hmm. something else. You know, like the work is something that we do together um, on, on days when people are listening in like this and then also on days when they're not. And it's just the two of us versus, um, you know, the public part of it, which is all like what is out there in the world and the meaning that other people are making of it. And so, you know, I would say that um, on the work front, there have been um, some really incredible things about collaborating together and working with someone who, um, who we know intimately and we can kind of feel free to um, say, look, like, here is why I'm not feeling great about this opportunity, or here is the kind of space and, or structure I need today, um, in a way that maybe we would not feel so free to say it so bluntly if we were working with someone who is purely a colleague. Um, and also just our ability to support each other in working contexts, I think, has been really 
underscored by our friendship. Um, there's a real motivation to, to say like, are you comfortable and happy in this partnership? And like, how are we, how are we moving forward together? Because we have this shared like emotional baseline, I guess. Um, and in that way, it's different from a lot of other professional collaborations that I've had with people who are not friends first. Um, but then there's this public facet of it, which is interesting because we don't really have any, we don't have much control over that. You know, we can control how we work together behind the scenes and we can make changes as we, as we learn more about ourselves and about what we want to be doing publicly. Um, you know, we can decide whether to be a little more forthcoming or less. Um, but the meaning that other people make of our working relationship and our friendship is something that is largely on them. And, you know, one thing that um, it's been really interesting talking about this book um, in a lot of different venues uh, is, is that people will say like, oh, but you're, you're so, you're so um, transparent on the podcast about what you're going through. And, and we always have to laugh because, you know, on the podcast, we do chat a little bit about things that I think are perceived as taboo. You know, we'll talk about our bodies or we'll talk about like, you know, thing, things that, um, you know, may seem private in a certain context, but to us don't feel like they're really emotionally invasive or personal. Um, whereas we're not actually airing the deep emotional truths of our friendship on the podcast. Like that, some of that happens in the book selectively. Um, but it's interesting that people really think that we have. Um, and uh, I think some of that points to the fact that uh, we're all really hungry for models of friendship and really like, um, you know, kind of investing in strangers' friendships as opposed to strangers' romantic relationships. Um, and we write also in the book about this in terms of how we feel about Oprah and Gail, who are another great example of a public friendship who have selectively let people in, but, um, but people kind of think they know the whole story. It's certainly inspiring for people, as you say. Um, and let's talk about shine theory. Can you explain to those who maybe haven't heard about it before what it is and how you both came up with it? Um, Aminatu, do you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> shine theory really is the, you know, the operating principle of our friendship. We tell each other, I don't shine if you don't shine. And we've done that, you know, very, we started doing that like very, very early into our into our friendship. And it was a really, um, you know, it was a really deft way of just affirming to each other that we were in each other's corner, you know, whether work was going well, or whether it was going badly, or whether we had these, you know, bigger desires and ambitions that we were trying to muddle through. I think that it was, you know, at its core, it is really just telling each other like, hey, I'm, I'm here in this thing with you. And it really is about, um, you know, prioritizing collaboration instead of competition, because so much of the cultural messaging, um, you know, is that women and people who come from marginalized groups are just very um, catty with each other and do not support each other. Um, we have both found that that is just not true. And a lot of times that message is actually just upheld by white heteropatriarchy. Um, you know, certainly I'm like, um, people who are white men are very competitive with each other also, and it doesn't get characterized the same way. Um, you know, and I think that part of why Shine Theory has resonated so much with people is not because we were inventing this new novel way of, you know, like building community or just being with people 
um, in your life, it is that um, a lot of people recognize that a lot of their advancement, whether professional or emotional or what have you, is because they have support from people in their lives that they can be accountable to. And, um, you know, so we, we, we've been like really heartened to see just the, the groundswell of like, of support around this idea of shine theory, because we know that for us, um, you know, being in each other's lives and really being in each other's corner this way has been such a good source of both like personal and professional advancement. Um, you know, I think that there is something about challenging the, you know, the, the way that the good old boys club operates and saying, Hey, instead of just hoarding power for the sake of hoarding power, we would like to build our own kind of power and really, um, redistribute that among the, the people that we are in community with. I love that. I love the power of something shining through. And when I was reading your book, when you talked about starting a podcast and when you said, Aminatu, that if all these comedy bros can do it, it can't be that hard. And um, I think there's something really... Surely Im- cannot. <laughs> Surely, but um, I, th- I thought that was a really succinct example of how we get incredible content and things from women supporting each other and pumping each other up and giving that confidence that we maybe weren't socially constructed or born with. So I just, I I just love that concept. Talking about competition and how actually it's better to, you know, embrace, embrace other people and kind of, and think about things a bit more in a collegiate way. Something in the book that really resonated with me was uh, the passages in which you talk about the ex- the anxieties that you both experience when you're starting your careers in a recession economy. Um, that's some, that's true of both Tiffany and I. We we were sort of we graduated right into the middle of the 2008 recession, um, and st- we were on our career trajectories roughly around the same time that you both were. And also, I'm very conscious of the fact that the current current graduating generation, the current generation entering the workforce right now are also entering into a recession economy. And reading those passages, it also seemed like much of your early friendship was spent bolstering each other as you weathered those career storms. Do you think that our generation is perhaps more collegiate towards each other because we were sort of in this mess together? Um, Anne, maybe you want to answer that. Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I have never experienced any other generation from the inside, so it feels yeah. <laughs> um, it feels sort of impossible to answer. But um, I do think that um, you know maybe the polls are more extreme. You know, like uh, if you are were already someone who is perhaps inclined to feel competitive, that the a recession economy brings out more of those feelings in you. And if you were maybe someone who is already inclined to be collaborative. They, the um, scarcity of jobs and opportunities might might bring out that in you. I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, I do know that one reason we wanted to write about some moments earlier in our career is that um, I think that the more established I become, the more secure I become in my career, the easier it is for me to not feel a kind of destructive envy um, for my friends or for, or for strangers, really, and to, and to kind of have a view about how everyone is doing this their own way. And the question is more about what do I want to learn and who do I want to work with? And I think that's a lot harder when you 
um, lack connections and stability. And, um, you know, really, it feels like if one person gets something that is one less thing for you. Um, it, it really felt a lot starker when, when we were earlier in our careers. And so, you know, right now, being able to say like, hey, we are, you know, a decade past this recession that formed our early working lives, and we don't feel um, plagued in any way by envy. It's not like something we have to work hard to practice. You know, shine theory is something that now is is not um, is not foreign to our sort of day to day. Also, wanting to recognize that for people who are reading this book and might just be starting their careers, or who were formed in a different economic moment, you know, maybe maybe the journey doesn't look exactly like that. And in this moment that we're in this modern way of working um do you think it's becoming more normal for people to start to work to start more projects or start working with their friends more as kind of our work and our lives and and that concept of professionalism are being increasingly blended you know i my honest answer is that i don't know you know i think that um if you think just about the concept of small business in general, um, that is kind of what it is oriented towards, right? It's saying like, I, I, I would like to start um, a business that is outside of this more like corporate structure. And I think that people have gen- generally like done that, um, you know, around like oriented around family and friends, certainly. Um, I think I also, you know, I, I am always cautious about like seeing a trend among, um, you know, among just like my own peers or among, um, you know, like a group of people uh, being us that is generally like very privileged, you know, when it comes to how we can express, um, how we can express our, our kind of like professional aspirations and our professional ambitions. I do think um, that what is true is that we are hearing of more narratives like this, you know, of people saying like, okay, um, maybe instead of just, um, you know, maybe instead of being in the corporate ladder and um, also of just being a total complete freelancer by myself, there is this middle ground where I can build a base of colleagues um, that is, you know, some of them are friends, some of them are people that I'm friendly with and figuring out like how to, how to have that same kind of career advancement that is promised in the corporate world. But, you know, I think, I think the jury is still out on that. Like I am, I am very curious to see, you know, how more and more people will talk about this and how they will approach, you know, discussing how they are doing how they are doing work. I am hoping that your prediction is true, you know, that we are really at this inflection point um, where especially for people who are in our generation and people who are perhaps like graduating from college now, like knowing that, you know, you can build, you can build a career and you can build work in a way that feels more sustainable and more appealing to you because you are stepping out of the you know, the traditional path that we've been told is the safe path. If anything, the recession, I think for me, really opened my eyes to the fact that, uh, oh, the whole thing is a house of cards. The whole the whole <laughs> thing from the beginning. Um, like if I had known that, I would have made like different choices probably starting in high school. Um, so, you know, so I'm not quite sure. And I'm, um, I'm sorry not to have like a definitive thought on that. But I, my hope is that 
more and more people will be transparent and will be inspired to talk about what their working arrangements are because, um, you know, people are getting really creative about how they're doing this. And I also think that the more we talk about it, the more people who feel really stifled or feel that, you know, there is not a, there is not a professional ladder ladder that they can climb on um, that they will be inspired to know that there is, you know, there is a different way to do this and that you can be fulfilled in your work and that you can be, you can still have colleagues and you can have people who care about, um, about your work. And that doesn't mean that you have to go into an office every day. Can I just say, wow, you are really blowing my mind um, about this. You know how sometimes when you like have thought about something a lot, but then someone says it a specific way and really like open something up for you. As, as I was listening to you say that, I was like, wow, you know, I had never really thought about our working choices as chosen colleagues in the way that we write about chosen family in the book, mm-hmm. you know, which is to say that like, um, we had realized that the existing structure was not going to provide us with a satisfying configuration for our work lives. And so we chose colleagues. Like, I, I know it sounds kind of simple, but like, I had really never thought about it in parallel to that. And something about the way you just phrased it really did that for me. I, I quite literally wrote down here in my notes, chosen work family, because it, I had that same reaction that you did and to, to hearing that, which is that why can't we build our work environment in the way that, you know, as you describe in the book about using friendship, you know, building your friendships like a chosen family. And it's something that I, as a freelancer, very much have something that I realized very quickly as a freelancer that has made my life so much more pleasant and so much, so much happier is realizing that my fellow freelancers are not the competition. They are my colleagues. And that the mm-hmm. biggest perk of getting to work for yourself is to actually choose your work colleagues, especially when, if you think about it, we spend so much time at work and we are, if you go into a traditional work environment, you are quite literally assigned, well, you you were, you used to be assigned a desk next to someone who you spend, spend eight hours a day at least with five days a week, more time than you are spending with your friends, with your partner, with your family. Why can't we choose our colleagues? Um, so I, I also agree, I think that was, it was such, a, such a, uh, a beautiful thought and um, way of articulating I mean, one of the one of the things I want to really like drill down about colleagues is, um, you know, you're so right about that freelance feeling of like, oh, everyone is my competition. But I also think that one of my fears for a long time about going freelance is that I would be lonely. You know, just like there's no input, like nobody. There's just nobody, you know, there's no there's no desk to walk to and, and ask for for input. And when mm. I think of just the possibility of you know, of what a colleague is, it literally comes, you know, from the Latin word that means to labor together. Um, I, I just, I think the expansive possibility of, you know, thinking about your colleagues in this new way means that people who are outside of your own realm of expertise and people who do things that are completely different than you are your colleagues now, you know, like I, I, I feel so incredibly lucky that I, I have artists in my network. I have, um, you know, people who do hard sciences. I have people who write. And that has been so good for my work. And it has been so much, um, it's felt so much uh, more freeing, you know, than just feeling that you are you are stuck at a desk or you are stuck under uh, like one professional label and that you can't really stretch um, you can't really stretch the bounds of what you want to do in life. And so I think that 
you know, that's the point of having chosen work family is that you are, you're not stuck ever at all. Yes, we call ourselves a friendship first business. And let's talk about the flip side though of that. So, and you mentioned talking about how chosen colleagues can help you fit your work around your life, which um, brings me onto the subject of work-life balance, which is something we talk a lot about on this show um, because, well, we don't really believe that work-life balance can truly exist. And not just simply because you can get emails all the time and digital and the rise of social. Um, It's actually more about that mental impact as well of, you know, your work and your life and how they interact and how to think about it. But I was really curious to ask, based on mine and Anna's own working practices, where I don't really believe in work-life balance, so we're talking about work all the time. What is your, both of your approach to this when working together? Do you have set boundaries or... um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that, um, Anne, if you'd like to tell me. Um, yeah, well, we really don't work on the weekends. Um, there have been, even through this period of our work lives, which has been very busy promoting this book, we, I think we've only worked one weekend. Is that right, I mean, Atu? Like, in terms of, we like, We don't work on together. weekends. We don't work on weekends. We don't work on bank holidays. And we do not work on birthdays. It's true. Um, and we are as we speak two days away from a long planned two week break where we are both going to put up the out of office responder and um, fully just disappear from work until September. Um, And that is something that I think, um, you know, look, we, we have both prioritized in our own ways, separately taking breaks like that. And, you know, the, the podcast schedule that we have, for example, is you know we are contractually obligated to produce a weekly episode for the whole year due to the way that our ad sales work, um, but we are every year, even even years when we are not um, you know taking a collective break, we're very good about pre-recording episodes so that we can give ourselves some time away. Um, you know, usually in the late summer, but um, but you know sometimes as well, like you know over the um, like kind of December January break. Um, we really, really think that you cannot continue to just be on all the time. And, and I also have to say that, you know, there's a part of this that's working with a friend where I think we generally know, um, when the other person is likely to be up and looking at email, you know, like, um, I mean, Atu will email me something if it's like after a certain hour rather than text me just because she knows that like, I go to bed kind of early (laughs) or, you know, we will, we like, we can tailor our working hours a little bit to um, the time of day when we are both at our best. And for me, that is part of this equation as well. Not just when are you taking time off, but how are you accounting for the fact that we are different people with different bodies and different sleep cycles and different preferences? And how do we build a schedule that works for both of us? that um, I think there are quite quite a few lessons that we can take from that because I think sometimes our boundaries could be maybe a bit clearer. Although that being said, um, we pretty much run our whole business on WhatsApp and we have a separate group that's just for a group that's that's just the two of us, which does seem kind of ridiculous, but nonetheless, it's um, specifically for conversations about the podcast and then so if I get a late night text from Tiffany and it's not in that it's not in the podcast chat 
group, then sure, I'll engage and I'll respond to her. But if she's texting me at 11pm about the podcast, maybe I won't respond. But there is that understanding. We already know from understanding each other's working style that Tiffany knows that I'm a really, I'm, I'm an, I'm a early sleeper and I go to bed quite early and that I tend to kind of switch off in the evening. So I think that that really resonates when you say that you kind of have that innate understanding of each other. And I think that probably does come from the fact that you have that friendship before the professionalism. Um, one thing that I kind of wanted to talk a bit about is or ask you about is obviously we've been very gushing about work and friendships and obviously all four of us here love working with our friends um but there is kind of another side to all of this because i do think that work can very often or can quite easily cause tensions within a friendship or in within a friendship group and it's not always the case this doesn't always just come up just when you have friends who work together but you know sometimes you might have a friendship group and different people are advancing at different paces in their career or maybe different people have different definitions of success and so tensions can arise is this something that either of you have either experienced or come across in the writing of the book i mean i um Yes, I, you know, it's whenever people have this conversation about work and friendship, I think that it's always important to say, uh, you can't work with all your friends. I have incredibly um, close friends of mine that I would, there's not enough money in the world to ever make me work with them, you know, or it would just not be like, that would not be a good fit. I think that you can, you work well with friends that you, um, you have identified you can work well with, you know, and so our experience, like we had said, is that we we had done all these lower level collaborations and for a long time had worked on things that were not um, professionalized. And so we had a really good insight into, um, you know, is this person reliable? Is this person, um, you know, like diligent? Are they disciplined? Are they, um, you know, is can, are our work styles compatible? So I just, I feel like I really have to say that. Um, and to your to your specific question, you know, I think that yes, like that is something that um, is true even in our own friendship. Like when we met, um, I was basically underemployed, about to be unemployed for a really long time, and Anne had this you know stable ish job. She was also uh, you know a, a little older than me, which meant that she had more of a you know she had more of a foothold in the professional world. Um, you know, which was, which was not true. And, and I think that we met at a time in which um, it was very possible for that kind of tension to arise, like straight off the bat. And I think that part of why it didn't is because, you know, we were both like really transparent about where we were from. But, you know, this is, this is like where shine theory really comes into, like, into play, right, of um, what, how do you feel about your friend's success and how do you feel about, you know, essentially like the things that they have and whether you are envious or not. One way to not be, you know, an obnoxious object of envy in your friend group in general is to be very transparent about the things that are, you know, about how you are attaining the success that you're attaining and also um, to be vulnerable about the things that are hard in your career. I think that it's you know, it's one thing to just to see that from the outside. But I think that when you are on the inside working with someone, anytime, you know, Anne has like a professional success, 
I'm obviously like happy that the success is being talked about and that people are supporting her. But I also, I understand innately the amount of work that it was, you know, in some ways I'm like, oh, all these other people are like signing on now. Like I have been here since the ground floor. I know how much work that is, you know, and I think that part, part, part of this conversation really also is reframing, um, you know, the, the things that you are really envious of, it's like, oh, are you like, if, like hearing other people celebrate your friend's work, for example, you know, like if that's the accomplishment, then, um, you know, I'm like, everyone needs to take a deep breath because all people are seeing is a finished product and they don't fully understand like the amount of work that it is or that Anne has been doing this for a long time. So, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I think that really communicating about, um, about how you are attaining the things that you're attaining and also being vulnerable about how the things that are hard about it are the way that you figure that out because that tension is completely normal you know i think that it is it is normal to feel jealous it is normal to feel envy but all that that jealousy and envy really is is you know it's it's information for yourself about the things that you want and and I think that if you're being really honest and you know your friend very well, if what you want is, oh, I want people to talk about my work too, then I'm like, your friend can talk to you about that. But if the thing is, I want my friend's career and I have everything that they have, then, you know, I'm like, buckle up and work as hard as they have been since the beginning. Because, um, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough, like, needle to thread. But I think that if we're all honest with each other, um, you know, being being in community with anyone and being intimate with anyone this way is um, it means that that tension will always arise, but it's very easy to diffuse if you are really honest about what it is that you want. There's so much to unpack in that. And I think it's, I think it's really kind of hits on so many tensions and points that I've definitely seen come up in, in my own friendship groups. And also, you know, that I've kind of uh, very much observed as well. But something that I think is really interesting is, um, and, and I would love to hear your perspective on this, but I think vulnerability very much as a thing is having its moment right now. Um, thanks in part, I think, to um, the brilliant Brene Brown. But I think that a lot of people are trying to be a lot more vulnerable in all kinds of relationships. But hearing you just talk now it's made me realize that why why are we struggling to be vulnerable when we're talking about our careers with our friends like why why is that so hard why is it so hard to say um oh i'm i'm feeling a bit envious of of you know my friend's success or i you know whatever it might be why is it why is it um so hard for us to kind of open up like that in relation to our work especially when it's with somebody who doesn't actually you know with a friend who maybe doesn't even work in the same industry as you or doesn't even do the same job as you um and doesn't even necessarily have the career that you want but um nonetheless it's really hard to open up uh, i mean i think vulnerability is just hard full stop i mean and and our our sickness is getting vulnerable about feelings and things outside the realm of work. So perhaps this is a skewed conversation where um, I think historically it has been easier for us to say, um, I'm feeling overextended about work or I'm feeling um, exposed about this work choice we made versus I'm feeling overextended emotionally. Um, and, and how do we fix that? So, you know, perhaps we're the weirdos here. Um, but I do think that... Um, 
you know, there is, there is quite a big taboo, uh, against saying this is how much money I make. Um, you know, there's the sense that that's impolite to talk about specific figures or the, the maybe precise details of your business life with someone who is not, um, you know, specifically in charge of helping you file your taxes or something like that. And, um, and I think that that, you know, that's why um, something like Shine Theory, I think, is designed to maybe uh, help reframe that a little bit as um, instead of, uh, instead of just saying like, yeah, this is vulnerable, because um, it is uh, not, not really acceptable to talk about money saying like vulnerability and, and working through that and allowing yourself to be vulnerable is is actually politically important and the way we all share information so that we can all um you know get paid fairly and and do the things we want to do um but yeah in terms of asking for um what you really need professionally i i do think that that's also something that we have gotten better at over time as we work together and and not just learn about each other, but learn about what we each need individually. Like, you know, which of us needs what on the calendar, which, what things do we need an explicit conversation about? Like, what are we worried about following up with on someone else's timetable? And what are we like, you know what, like you can sit tight and we're going to be on our own timetable here. Like those are all things that are not explicitly related to our creative collaboration that I think we have really had to work on in everyday ways, not in a like sit down and face each other in a therapist's office. But, um, you know, it's it's tiny vulnerabilities of, of saying like, I don't know why, but this this opportunity is making me feel like Ugh, I don't want to do it. And I can't quite explain it to you, but I can just say I don't really want to do it. And having that be enough of a reason, you know, things like that, um, I, I think have been somewhat diffused for us by just having to have the conversation a lot of times over and over. Um, and, and it is interesting to think about how those conversations happen with friends who we are not explicitly collaborating with um, as we talk about work. It's when you talk about communicating needs at work and you were talking about um, diaries or other things going on in people's lives. Um, I find that that happens fairly naturally between Anna and I and um, what I was curious for us to explore briefly is can we almost bring that level of compassion and friendship within the relationships we have at work when they aren't our chosen colleagues? Um, so in the book, you talked about how co-founders have therapy and, and, and it was actually unusual for friends to have therapy. And I loved what you said about the fact you worked together, created that opening for things to get better. But the reality is for most people who work in companies, that isn't on offer. And there's a huge amount of tension and difficulty as people are afraid to communicate their needs or that culture around patriarchal professionalism doesn't allow people to. How can, I mean, how can we construct that level? How can we bring friendship and the, what values of friendship more into how we work together in places where we haven't chosen our colleagues? Oh, I mean, that is a tough question because you're literally talking to someone who I removed myself from that equation because I think that asking individuals to solve um, structural problems is, um, you know, there are real limitations to that. The reason that the workforce is that way is not because people are uniquely bad. It's because 
the forces of capitalism and corporate America are very invested in in creating this kind of rat race, right? And and I'm also weary of talking about you know bringing friendship to this realm because I think that in some ways you know all all that that kind of structure does is cor- is corrupt and corrode and not necessarily uplift. So you know I'm like that is my that's my truth about corporate America and corporate anywhere else. Um, you know, and I also think that it's it's important to state that having this kind of vulnerability um, makes you a real liability at work. Like part of why people don't do it is not because they're, you know, they're just these like cowards or that they're bad. It's because you can very, you can very well be punished for doing that, you know, until very recently here in the United States. And I think still actually in a lot of states, um, even discussing your salary with your um, colleagues is not something that um, you are protected under the law from. And so I think that like understanding that there is a risk to being, um, you know, to being someone who, who wants, who demands like this level of transparency and wants to bring friendship in the workplace. Like, you know, I'm like, that's important to just put forth, um, you know, but again, um, <laughs> I, I love that we're always like, huh, like, let's, let's tell you about like a thing that we do, um, broken record style. Um, this is another place that like shine theory, like really accounts for, right. In the sense where, can you be a good friend to everyone at your work? Uh, probably not. Um, but can you identify some key players at work and people that you share values with and people who um, would like the same work results that you do and start practicing it, start practicing this with them? I think you can, you know, but I think that that is very much on an, on an individual basis and it is on a company to company level. Um, and, you know, and the truth is that also a lot of this work really is emotional labor that mostly, um, you know, women and marginalized people do. And then the companies like get huge benefits from them. But I I am not sure like what the benefit is to the individual if you are not, um, you know, if if you are not fully being taken account in. So this is a rambling way of saying that I you know, on one hand, I'm like, yes, like identify your colleagues that you can be vulnerable with. And on the other hand, um, you know, the corporate world is really not built for that in a sustainable way. I think that that's really important to highlight because it's something that we very often, it's, it's, it's funny that this is the kind of conclusion that we have come to, because it feels like this is the conclusion we sort of draw pretty much on every episode where the problem always comes down to the structures in which we operate and how there is only so much that the individuals can do. And in fact, for many things, it's not down to the individual to break, to fix the, the things that they, the structures that they themselves did not break. Um, that being said, we are huge fans of there being at least something practical that people can do once when they listen to our podcast episodes. Um, So I would really love to hear from both of you what one easy thing that people can do to strengthen their friendships, um, you know, maybe in the next week or so after listening to this, something that is feasible and very much possible and easy for an individual to do and something that actually will help them. And I don't necessarily mean in a work context, but just in general, in their, in their friendships in general. One thing that came up um, when we talked to some experts about friendships that last a really long time is that they share in common 
um, this practice of assuring each other that they do want to remain in the friendship for the long term. And it sounds so silly, like just saying, hey, I really want to be your friend for a long time. I really want to make this work, um, you know, come what may. Uh, but, you know, the fact that um, a lot of problems in friendship get brushed under the rug, often unsuccessfully, um, is due to the fact that it doesn't feel always like a safe space for you to raise um, a really big problem. Because unlike family or um, or maybe like a romantic partner where you have the expectation that that person is going to work on it with you and not just drop it and run away, friendship um, doesn't have the security that raising a problem with it will lead to working on it together. And so if you say, hey, I want to be friends for the long term, there is a little bit more assurance that when a problem inevitably comes up, be it because you work together or anything else in your friendship, um, you are going to want to work on it. And you you are a place, um, your, your friendship is a place where you are going to raise these things. And so, um, and also it just feels good to hear it. I think that, you know, we had really implied this to each other in a lot of ways, but until we wrote the book, really saying directly, we want to be in each other's lives for a very, very long time, ideally till the end, is um, is something that we maybe hadn't done in, in, in an explicit way. And so that would be um, that would be my number one thing is think about those people who you do want to, to stick with and um, let them know. Um, well, th- thank you so much to you both for this. This was absolutely brilliant. It was a really um, deep and thoughtful chat. Um, where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more? Um, you can find us and our podcast at callyourgirlfriend.com and you can find out more about our book at bigfriendship.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks again for being with us and for your friendship and vulnerability on today's episode. Thank you for having us. It's been us. a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Take care. You are listening to Is This Working? Hosted by Anna Girado and Tiffany Philippou. Produced by Chris Bannister. Continue the conversation with us over on Twitter at isthisworking underscore show.